Welcome to the Stonebridge Community Church online worship service. Today you'll hear the Word of God read, the message from this weekend's in-person service, and two songs to guide you in worship. Thanks for joining us today. So we've been going through the book of Acts in our series titled Summer in the Cities, looking at the way the early church goes from city to city to city, seeing what the Holy Spirit does through the church, and really looking at the travels and adventures of Paul. For those of you not too familiar with Paul, he's the first great missionary in the church. The church exists as it is today, largely because of the Holy Spirit's work through Paul. And today, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 16, where the Christian faith, the message of Christianity, spreads up to Europe for the first time into a town called Philippi. So I'll be reading from Acts chapter 16, verses 11 through 15, and I invite you to hear the word of God. We set sail from Troas and took a straight course to Samothrace, the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate by the river where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered there. A certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us. She was from the city of Theatira and a dealer in purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful in the Lord... Come and stay at my home. And she prevailed upon us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And please join me in prayer. Lord, we gather here that we might hear your word. Open up your scriptures to us now. Through the preaching of your word, shape us and form us. That we might respond to your work that we might respond to the gospel that we've received in a way that reflects your heart and your generosity, Lord. Speak to us now. We ask this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So as I already said, we are focused on Paul. And we're looking at the Apostle Paul, his travels, the way he interacts with the different churches, the ways that he goes to build up the church. And one thing that I find interesting about Paul, one thing I think it's important to know about Paul is, for better or for worse, he didn't really like accepting help from the churches that he started, at least not financial help. For whatever reason, Paul seems to almost brag at points about the fact that he didn't actually accept people's financial help. In Acts chapter 20, Paul says, I coveted, I coveted no one's silver or gold or clothing. You know for yourselves that I worked with my own hands to support myself and my companions. He would work as a tent maker to supply whatever was needed for himself and his companions to different cities he would go to. He would set aside time to make tents. We're told he does this with some of the people in the churches that he goes to. So Paul didn't like accepting financial help from the churches he started except for one example, one exception to this. 
the church in Philippi. Paul is willing to accept help from the church in Philippi. In his letter to the Philippians, he writes this to them. You Philippians indeed know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs more than once. He had this relationship with the church in Philippi where Paul was willing to accept help from them, accept their generosity, though from other churches he wouldn't accept it. To the church in Corinthians, he mentions the church in Philippi. In Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 11.9, he says, And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone, for my needs were supplied by the friends who came from Macedonia. The friends from Macedonia, that's where Philippi is. It was a city in the district of Macedonia. That's who he's referring to here. He goes on, So I refrained and will continue to refrain from burdening you, the church in Corinth, in any way. Paul had this special relationship with the church in Philippi. Their generosity was a type of generosity that he was willing to accept, that he was willing to embrace. It was different than his relationships with all these other churches. And I don't think it was anything specific about the city of Philippi that helped to develop this relationship that Paul had with the church in Philippi. Because the generosity the church showed, it actually would run counter to the city of Philippi. Philippi is an interesting city for a number of reasons. It was founded in 356 B.C., by King Philip of Macedon. He wanted to come to this city because there were gold mines there, or he wanted to build a city there because there were gold mines. He wanted to mine the gold. He wanted to make money from it. And of course, like most kings, he named the city after himself. So that's how it begins. But then for a few hundred years, we don't hear anything about the city of Philippi. For hundreds of years, it's just a mining community there. But then in 43 BC, Philippi gets put back on the map in a very big way. In 43 BC, what's taking place in the Roman Empire is the civil war that came after the murder and assassination of Julius Caesar. So Julius Caesar, we're all familiar, he's pulling together the empire, he's lifting himself up as emperor, and then senators decide to take his life on the floor of the Senate. And that sets off a civil war in the Roman Empire, where on one hand you have Mark Antony and Octavian, and on the other hand you have Cassius and Brutus, senators who took Caesar's life. Mark Antony and Octavian are loyal to Caesar. And a huge war erupts. And that war, which is famous, we all know about Caesar's story, it ends here at Philippi. This is where the final battle in that war takes place. Cassius and Brutus make their last stand here at Philippi. Mark Antony and Octavian, they prevail. They destroy the army of the senators. And then Octavian and Mark Antony give the city of Philippi to their soldiers. They resettle this city. They hand it over to all of their soldiers. And that's how Philippi begins to get the character that it has when about a hundred years later, Paul will enter into it preaching the message of the gospel. This is a city whose roots are founded now in the Roman army. 
Later on, Octavian will become Augustus. He'll be the first installed emperor of the empire. And he'll settle even more Roman soldiers and more Romans here in the city of Philippi. I say all that to help you understand, Philippi was a very, very Roman city. In the book of Acts, it says that this is a Roman colony. And these would have been the most Roman of Romans, the people who had died and bled. Or their friends had died and bled because they're still living, so they didn't die, but you know what I mean. The people who had bled and watched their friends die is what I meant to say for the Roman Empire. And the thing to know about the Roman Empire is they were not particularly generous with people who weren't Romans. The more Roman you were, the more you looked down on people who weren't as Roman as you were. So this wasn't a city known for its generosity. This wasn't a city known for how they would give freely to those in need. Any generosity that we see in the church in Philippi, it doesn't come from the Roman roots of this city. In fact, the generosity of the church of Philippi would run up against the Roman culture of the city. I think that this generosity in Philippi, this relationship that Paul has with this church, I think it comes from the interaction here in Acts chapter 16. This is the founding of the church in Philippi that we're seeing here. This is the first convert to Christianity that we know of on European soil. Here in the church of Philippi, this is where it begins. And it begins with Paul's interaction with a woman named Lydia. I don't know if I should actually say that she's named Lydia. Because she's from the city of Theatira that I mentioned, which is actually in the region called Lydia. So in the same way, some of us might have a friend from Texas that we call Tex, even though their name's Billy Bob or something. I don't know. That could be what's going on here. That she's being named more for the region and that this is a nickname. Or she's named for the region she came from in the same way some of us might actually have friends named Tex. So we don't know if Lydia is actually her name. But we do know that throughout history, she's had a, a few different names. People reflecting on her story, people reflecting on this church. She's called St. Lydia in some traditions. She's also called the woman of purple. And my favorite was, at one point, she's called Lydia Purpurea. I just think it's fun to say. It sounds like potpourri or something. But Lydia is the first convert to Christianity in Europe. And there's some things that we know about her that make her fascinating. Where you wish we had more than just this story. There's things you can piece together from this passage here about this leader in the early church. And she was very much a leader in the early church. We know that she's not from Philippi. She's from Theatira, the region of Lydia. So she's come from another town, another city, and she's made her way in Philippi, a different city. We know that she's a dealer in purple cloth. That might not sound like that big of a deal. But in the ancient world, purple was the color of royalty. And purple cloth was the hardest type of material to get. Because purple dye would come from tiny little mollusks. So you had to have a number of means to be able to produce purple cloth by securing these mollusks, by developing all this dye. So Lydia was rich. She was wealthy. 
and she was running this business herself. There's no mention of a husband or a father or a son. At this point in her story, whatever happened before, Lydia has made her own way. So she's running this business. And it's fairly successful. We know that because she has her own house that she can invite people to. She doesn't have to ask any permission from anyone. And we also know that she has an entire household that she's able to say it's time to be baptized, everybody. She's the one in charge. Everything she has is hers. Lydia is where I think this generosity in Philippi comes from. This interaction, because what we're told is that Lydia is there as a worshiper of God. Now, that could mean she's Jewish beforehand. It could also mean that she's a Gentile who converted to Judaism. But already she feels a sense of connection with the God of Israel. So she's going down to pray with other women. Paul and his companions show up there. And Paul preaches the message that he's been preaching. And it says that Lydia's heart is opened up here. Now, we don't know what Paul said. The book of Acts gives us so many different speeches of Paul's. But this one, in this story, we're left to piece it together ourselves. But if we're going to go off of what Paul preaches to other people who feel connected to the God of Israel, if we're going to go off of Paul's other speeches, he would have said something like this. He would have reminded them that there is the one creator God, the maker of heaven and earth. That that God had this relationship with Israel. And that through the nation of Israel, a savior was born into the world. The Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, the anointed one, the one who would redeem humanity. But that instead of grabbing power, Jesus would sacrifice Jesus would suffer. Jesus would go to the cross and he would die, but he would not stay dead. And this is where Paul's message would get a little zany, a little hard to understand. Because Paul would have said Jesus was raised from the dead. That he and others saw Jesus alive after he was dead. And that in that, they had the promise and the assurance that death had been overcome, that whatever was broken would be fixed, that all things that were lost would become found, that this broken world full of suffering would be made new through all that God did in Jesus on the cross. Paul would have reminded them that Jesus will return. Paul would have told them of the things that God had done. Paul would have told them of the great lengths God was willing to go in becoming human in the form of Jesus so that they could be saved, so that this world could be saved. Paul would have reminded them of the love of God and then as he says in his letters, reminded them, nothing can separate them from the love of God. Paul would have preached this message that he preaches so often about all of the work that God has done. When we understand that, Lydia's response becomes more understandable. Lydia's response in this moment is to open up all that she has so that this message can continue. Lydia's response here 
is one where she says, come and stay with me. If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay in my home. She opens up what she has to care for them. Lydia's response, I think, is what sets the church in Philippi down this path where they are generous, where they're willing to share with Paul. You can almost see her insisting on this as well. The last line here is, and she prevailed upon us. We know Paul doesn't like accepting help, but Lydia wins the day. Lydia talks Paul into accepting her help. And I believe that that generosity sets the tone for this relationship. Christians should be known by our generosity. Lydia's response shouldn't be surprising to us. It shouldn't even be exemplary to us. When you understand all that God has done, when you understand the gifts God has given, when you understand the lengths God was willing to go to redeem this world, to save you, to reach out to you, when you understand God's love, generosity towards God and towards others is the natural response. Lydia's response, it makes perfect sense. Now, each week in our church services here, we take a time for offering. We don't do that because the church is desperate for money. I'll be frank with you all, we're actually doing well as a church financially, and that's because of the generosity of everybody here. Offering is more than just about giving money to the church so the church can survive. Offering, giving back, it's an act of worship. Because generosity as Christians, it isn't something that we do, it's part of who we are. And giving back to the church, worshiping in that way is a core part of that, but it doesn't just end there. I've said numerous times, giving to the church, it's an important part of being a disciple of Jesus. And if you're not giving here at Stonebridge, that's okay, but I encourage you to find a church that you feel comfortable giving to. It may not be this one, and that's okay, but find one that you are comfortable giving financially to. It is a part of discipleship. That generosity, practicing it, cultivating it, is a part of following Jesus. But like I said, it doesn't just end there. Christians we should be defined by our generosity. Nonprofits that do work, that reflects the kingdom God is building in this world, that gives people hope in all that God did, hope that there's a better world, we should be giving generously to those nonprofits as well. And it doesn't just end there. Lydia is willing to open up her home to these people who she has just met that day because the gospel has captivated her that much. We should be willing to open up our lives, open up our homes, give of our time, of our services, so that this gospel that captivates us can spread, so that more people can have hope. There's something about a kind act, an act of generosity, that helps people understand the character of God in a deep and unique way. Generosity, it's not something that we just do. It's who we are as Christians because it reflects the character of the God that we worship who is generous with us. When we understand that, we understand Lydia's response, and I think we begin to understand how Lydia's response was able to affect Paul. How Lydia's response was able to set the stage for this church that would be there at Philippi that she was clearly a leader of, 
That generosity of the church in Philippi, the generosity there in Philippi from Lydia, from that church, I think we begin to understand it. And it can become a model for us. The same way the church in Philippi clearly stood out for its generosity. May we also stand out for our generosity here in our community, in our lives. May we be known for the ways in which we are willing to give for others, to sacrifice for others, to open up our lives for others. All because that's what God has done with us. So may we be like Lydia. May we follow her example. And may the world know of our God by us doing so. Please pray with me. Lord, you are a generous God. You are a God who cares for us. You are a God who reaches out to us. Help us, Lord, to care for others. Help us to reach out for others and help us to be generous in the way you are generous. Help us to care for people in the way you care for them. Help us, Lord, to give freely. Help us to know how we can use the many gifts you've given us for the sake of your message of hope and resurrection being spread.
your name.